John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome to the very first live stream from the Cinephiles. Uh, My name is Steve Morris. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, producer, and host here in town. And of course, uh, if you're joining us, this is one of our fun things to do here on the Cinephiles. Well, it's a particularly fun thing now that we can't actually go out of our houses. Yeah, you know, we have yeah. to we have to go somewhere. And uh, uh, we we got a, re- a bunch of requests from uh, our Patreons to talk about what's going on in the world right now, which is, of course, the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. So if you're catching up and, and watching this later, though, we recorded this as kind of a conversation that we felt our fans wanted to have because they were requesting this. And the coronavirus is certainly consuming so many things. It's affecting everything from like sports and politics and everything large like that all the way down to the schmodown. We've had to postpone and reschedule things and everyone is up in the air about it. So it's affected every facet of my life and certainly hearing from other people who are struggling to uh, to get like work and what have you. So pretty incredible situation right now. Yeah, it's it's it, it definitely is. I mean, across across really the whole world and it's definitely hit the United States in the last couple of last week really and it's accelerated so quickly like if you look at the the graphs of how the the virus has progressed yeah. and the logarithmic um or the exponential curve 
uh, it feels like that exponential curve has hit us and things are accelerating in a big way. Yeah, this is something like, Steve, you've done a lot of, I would say this, you, you, seem, to, you seem to get into the history of things and the how things work and what have you. We've spoken about it numerous times on the show. This, for me, this feels like something I have never experienced before in the history of this country. And I spoke to Roxy about it the other day and she said, even her grandparents are saying that they've never experienced anything no. like this in terms of the reaction from the citizens across the world and then the reactions in the stock market, reactions on the job market, what have you. Even now in Beverly Hills, they sent out a text this morning saying which um, that rents are not – evictions are going to stop immediately, that you can – that street parking is okay as long as you're not at a meter, that you won't get you won't get uh, ticketed for it. So all these weird changes going on in the world to try to keep people indoors or make sure people are, are, be, are able to stay indoors and not lose their homes. No, I'm, nothing – there's never been anything like it. Um, certainly there have been diseases that have uh, been incredibly damaging to the world population – um, but there's never been the combination of a disease spreading with the level of integration and codependency within all of the the national the economy around the world. Yeah. So, you know, the, the last one that was really damaging, of course, was the Spanish flu. And that took place right at the end of World War One. And there I think the numbers are over 20 million people died in that. Yeah. And certainly we hope that this is nothing like that and that we avoid any kind of damage at that level. And there's some reasons where we're much, much better off. And there's some reasons where we're not. The ways in which we're better off is obviously technology. Our medicine has improved tremendously. Communications have improved tremendously. We didn't have tests for the Spanish flu. We didn't have ways to distribute information right away. We didn't have antibiotics. We didn't have ways to help people with their breathing. All of that is so, so much better. Um, and the other thing, of course, is part of why the Spanish flu spread so terribly was that it was right at the end of World War One, and you had all these soldiers coming home in ships. You had people packed close together. You had uh, infrastructure had been destroyed and sanitary conditions weren't very good. And so that made that flu spread much more quickly. The yeah. disadvantage we have now is populations are much bigger. Our cities are much more dense. We're far more interdependent upon each other. Most of the world was just coming out of an agrarian society at the end of World War One. We're in right. the middle of an urban factory society. Like the the so the number of people that are dependent upon a very complex web of an economy to survive is way way bigger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's scary. I mean, I I when it was initially starting. I was thinking to myself, oh, wow, look at all those countries. That's a shame what's happening to them. you know. And you wanted to believe that it was as slow as they were initially estimating it, right? You want to believe the best possible scenario. But as it's gone along, it has moved so quickly. And the opinions have changed so quickly. And the reaction from the government has changed so quickly. Even the normal... Yahoo yokel gaslighting or dog whistling to, you know, you can't close my bar down. You can't do this or that. You get all of that. You get the initial like spike and then it gets shut down completely because the seriousness of this is off the chain from anything I've seen before. And I mean, like something like Chris, uh, Kid Rock, rather, Kid Rock 
his uh, co-owner of his bar yesterday said, oh, I'm keeping my bar open. Ain't no governor telling me what I can do. They're just targeting these businesses, and it's unconstitutional. Three hours later, we're shutting the bar down. Uh, we don't want to have any problems, coronavirus, blah, blah, blah. So that's an incredible thing that this thing is just sweeping across uh, America, and people are taking it way more seriously than they initially uh, were inclined to do. Well, the, the you know, the big thing that we're frightened of is exponential growth, is that yeah. and, and and part of it is that there are tremendous numbers of unknowns with this disease at this point. And so yeah. certainly we hope that we're in the realm of the best case scenarios. For instance, yeah. we really don't know how many people have been infected in the world and we don't know how many people have been infected in the U.S., the U.S. Yes. is particularly a problem because we've been so slow to roll out tests. So yep. in in South Korea, they're testing 10,000 people a day. They've got drive through testing set up uh, in the United States. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are right now, but uh, last week we hadn't tested 10,000 people in the entire country. Yeah. And so and so wh what that means is there probably are a lot more people that have been infected with this disease than we know. We don't know how, uh, how we're just starting to get numbers on how uh, infectious it is. That means how many people when exposed are actually gonna catch the virus. Yeah. And we don't know the mortality rate. Um, the mortality rate uh, estimates are anywhere between 0.5% up to 4%. 4 so uh, by comparison, the flu is 0.1%. So that means one, if a 1,000 people get the flu, one person is likely going to die. Uh, if it's 0.5%, well, that means it's five people uh, who are going to die. If it's 4%, well, that means 40 people are going to die. Yeah. And if millions of people get this, that's really, really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's what I think has finally shut down all those people who've been saying, oh, it's just like the flu. The flu was worse than this, or it's a political hoax or all this kind of crap. No, nah, man, this thing doesn't give a rat's ass what party you vote for, what president you want in charge. This thing will come right through you. And the young people aren't even immune to catching it. They may be immune possibly in higher numbers to uh, fatality from it, but they, they can have higher pass resistance, it on. Yeah. Yeah, they have high resistance, but they can pass it on to their to their uncles, to their older uh, aunts, to their grandparents, to their parents, what have you. So you may be out on that beach whooping it up, but you may catch it. And when you come home, you may not feel any symptoms, but that is inside you. And you may pass it on to a family member who has a lower resistance, a lower immunity. And that person can die from your carelessness, your recklessness. And that's scary to think about. So and, and, and I would say even if it's the best case scenario. Mm -hmm. And and which certainly all of us hope that it is. And even if, you know, I would love it. And if the end of all of this, a whole bunch of people say, man, those stupid Democrats overreacted. That would be the best thing to have happen. Um, yeah, but even right. with even with all that, there's there's still tremendous, tremendous damage that this is doing to the economy yeah. across all spectrums. And in particular, people in the service sector, people with low paying jobs, people living paycheck to paycheck, people in the United States without health insurance. It's going to it's going to be real tough on them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what happened today with the president, as we're recording this today, the president coming out and saying, with Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury secretary, that we're going to put more money in your hands. We're going to put that is just a Band-Aid on this whole thing because it isn't just about having the money. It's about the entire structural attack that this thing could cause 
uh, and damage Americans across all financial spectrums and all classes. And that's the scary thing, you know, and that's why they have to pass these bills to make the testing as free as possible and as immediate and convenient as possible. You talk about South Korea with the drive-through testing. How do we in America not have drive-through? We have drive-through. Te- we have drive-through liquor stores. Well, how can we not have a drive-through testing? All these things need to come out as quickly as possible. No one needs to be in recess. No one needs to be home. Uh, you know, you're an elected official. You need to be twenty-four-seven passing something so that everyone else is is who is in the uh, pipeline of making the testing and uh, getting people uh, uh, what they need to get past it, uh, treatment, whatever. All of that, those need to, they need to have their hands untied from political bullshit and they just come straight forward and get it done and over with. And no, and, and giving a little bit of money to people isn't the answer. The answer is streamlining the process so people get tested, treatment, and healed as quickly as possible so we can get on top of it. China's already showing that their quick response to it has been effective in abating the spread of it at the levels that it could have been had they not acted quicker. Um, first of all, I think your idea of a combo drive through liquor stores slash coronavirus <laughs> testing makes a lot of sense. Uh, certainly, as we've been uh, getting our supplies, not knowing how long we're going to be in uh, uh, in our house, yeah. liquor was one of the supplies that we got. Um, one, one thing that we should point out is that the panic towards stocking your house with yeah. toilet paper and that's not necessary at this time. Every th- every indicator is that in the United States, food supplies, there's plenty of food. There's plenty think production has been ramped up for some things yeah. like disinfectant and paper goods and stuff like that. Yeah. We are not in that place. And if you go ahead and, you know, people that are hoarding stuff are actually taking things away from people that really need them. So we have to be really careful about that. But there are causes for concerns. And I think, you know, one of them is uh, bed space. If you listen yes. to what's happened in Italy and in Spain, where they re- and, and they are two weeks ahead of us based on the numbers, yeah. um, they're the, one of the big problems is figuring out where do we have beds for people that need to go into the ICU? Do we have enough ventilators? Do we have enough medical supplies? And right now in Italy, they're taxed to the breaking point. Yeah. Um, there was just a really powerful... Um, interview with an Italian doctor on the daily podcast, which is the podcast from the New York times. I highly recommend listening to it. Mm -hmm. Um, It is very upsetting because they're going, they're having to make the tough choices of who lives and who dies. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they have an 85 year old presenting with coronavirus, whose lungs are failing and they don't have the medical equipment to take care of that person who has a low chance of survival, they are choosing not to treat. Yeah. And those, and, this is the civil war again, Steve, that idea of which, who do you treat? Who do you on the battlefield? Whose injury is more severe that you need to um, have pay more attention to versus other people who is like, it's a, it's a lost cause. They're going to die anyway. So you have to make those decisions and it's a horrible situation for these doctors to be. in. Well, by the way, uh, I'm looking at some of the comments coming in and yes, this is the first time I am appearing publicly as part of the cinephiles. <laughs> this is what I look at, look like. This is my face. This yeah. is the office where we often record yes. the show. Um, uh, I, I'm sorry that it's taken such terrible circumstances to, <laughs> as someone said, bring me out of the shower, uh, out of the shadows. But 
That's what it is. Um, um, can I say something real quick? Frank Albert, stop sending in those chats that are misguiding people and scaring people. Cut it out. This is not the time for that. I will I will show Steve how to block you off this chat if you don't stop it right now. All right. I'm sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Um, yeah, the, 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 there is stuff coming in from him that does not represent any of the information that I've seen anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, if we start distrust yet, yeah, yes, we should be skeptical of some information, but we need to trust particularly the scientists. Yeah. You know, we, anyone might have feelings about uh, the government or feelings about their elected officials. And certainly we're in a time where there's a lot of anger in the world, but that's not the scientists, okay? The scientists have agreed down the line on this. Their predictions sadly have been all too correct. Yeah. And so listening to them and listening to what's necessary is really, really important. Uh, just getting back to the beds, and this is an interest, is, is a really difficult thing in the US. Yeah. In, in Japan, they have 13 hospital beds per capita, per thousand people. In um, Italy, it's around 3.8 hospital beds. The average of developed countries is like 4.8. The U.S. has 2.8. Okay. So we have far fewer hospital beds and far less. Our, 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 in terms of the medical system, we provide excellent medical care. We have problems with insurance. We have problems with distribution of that care. But the care is excellent. But in terms of beds and available equipment, we're not in great shape. So these are things that really, really need to get worked on in this yeah. country immediately. Yeah, and that's what you that's what you're um that's why you have to in my opinion you have to streamline the situation because it needs to go okay, we need beds. All right, who's in charge of that? How can we get them? Let's get them going. There are people who want to help, there are people who want to volunteer, want to assist, want to get involved in this to get people going. That's important and you get beds and get people want to volunteer. That's the one thing about the human um species. When a situation like this erupts, the first thing they want to do is get involved and help and do what they can do so that people survive this thing as much as possible. They're called to do it. So you have to be, you have to create the process as uh, you have to make the process as easily as easy and as streamlined as possible so that they can help. So they can be there to volunteer and take all the precautions. So they themselves don't get infected with this thing while they're helping other people. So all of that, once we recognize what it is we need, it has to be uh, immediately put into place or we're just going to get caught in all the red tape and the bullshit and people are going to die. Lives are going to be lost because of it. Well, and we need to work on the international level in terms of cooperation between countries, yes. on the national level, in the United States, on the federal level, state level, the local level, and just in your own communities. And all of us have to work together to solve these problems. So for instance, while we're staying home and we're trying to do social distancing, we're practicing all the things we've been taught about washing our hands. I've already seen myself touch my face several times in this, in this <laughs> live stream. That's a tough one for me. Um, we, we, we do have to do all those things. We also all live in communities, whether or not you live in a quiet street or an apartment building in the middle of New York City. Um, there are going to be people in your community that are elderly and maybe they need some help getting groceries. There are going to be people with kids and maybe they need some help in some other ways. A lot of people that have their kids staying home, those kids maybe are losing out on hot lunches. That's mm -hmm. millions and millions of people in the United States have kids that depend upon those hot lunches. You have, and so figuring out what like, for instance, on my street, we have a text chain. We've already sent a text that if anyone needs anyone, if anyone's sick, that we're going to help us out. So that's something where you 
can do that right on your own level. You know, um, the right now in the United States, the it looks like the governors and the city, uh, the mayors of cities are really working hard to in, in most states to to try to help the situation. And the federal government, as much as anyone who listens to the cinephiles knows that I'm not a fan of our president. Hmm. The fact that the federal government has started to move quickly and do the things they're doing should be a sign to all of you that this is extremely serious. Yeah. Because President Trump would never be uh, admitting these things. That's not his style nope. if if it weren't extremely serious. Yeah, exactly. It's his style to um, to you know blame the Democrats and create barriers and play the victim in this whole situation. You can see very clearly this is finally something has gotten through to him where he has to actually understand the cost of acting in that manner and how many lives could be lost, will be lost by him acting in this manner. This isn't the paranoia and fear of the caravan of refugees or immigrants. This is real. This is a real thing. And now we get to see how he's actually going to act, how this administration actually shows up. To me, this reminds me so much of 9-11. How is Bush going to react to this attack on American soil? How is Trump going to attack, I mean, to react to, and his administration, that's really important, to an actual uh, crisis. Like, this is an actual crisis that maybe no president has ever had to confront. And in that way, w we're going to see, one way or another, if they're equipped to handle it and how many people are going to be involved in making it happen and if you'll finally listen to the people involved. Because the way, the way he started out this whole thing uh, could uh, might have probably cost lives uh, because of how slow he was to the how slow he didn't want to accept what was actually happening, regardless of his scientist, Dr. Anthony Fauci, there saying everything to him that needed to be said. And so, if you're going to give any credit to the president, thank God that he finally listened and things are going in motion. And we'll see at the end of the day. But I don't want to see. Chinese virus in tweets anymore. I don't want to see the Democrats or a hoax or any of this bullshit. This is about America. And so this has to be the focus. Number one, saving Americans, no matter what their political affiliation are, is, and no matter what class they belong to, which I think is the most important thing. Um, I will say something that people will be very shocked to hear me say. <laughs> um, I do not believe that President Trump handled this well at all. And it was very obvious from the beginning that he wanted to deny the existence of this virus, to downplay it. And, and you know, he is not known for being the most honest president. And as you say, the lack of good um, information coming from the federal government slowed down this process and probably did cost lives. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'll say. This has never happened in this way. And so it's not surprising that governments do not react quickly to it. And in fact, they are reacting quickly right now. So while I will be extremely critical of President Trump in all sorts of things, now is the time to hope that he does well. Yes. And if absolutely. he does and if this administration doesn't do well, well then it's time to remove them. Yeah. You know, uh I the other thing I think is I think we spent so far too long in this country Worrying about image and popularity and not competency and hard work mm. and the people that actually do jobs. Um, there's so much where if someone looks good, we think they are good. 
And, you know, because I love the craftsmanship of film, I love, and I know that making a film is really, really hard work. Yeah. And I apply that to everything else. Running a hospital, it applies to running a government, run, being the officer in a, a military unit. All of those things take hard work. They take discipline, they take responsibility, they take caring attention to details. Mm -hmm. And there have been far too many situations, and I believe this administration is very guilty of it, where if they look good, we think they are good. Yeah. If people are uh, supporting them, we think they're doing a good job. Right. But in fact, it's actually, what are you doing and how do you do it? Yeah. You know, the fact that they ignored um, warnings about pandemics, the fact that they disbanded some of the the people that have to, you know, uh, deal with pandemics is a huge, huge mistake. And the big one to me is I trust people who are knowledgeable. Yeah. And there has been a degradation of the respect for expertise and intelligence in this country. And we are now going to pay the price for that. Yep. Yeah. I agree with you a thousand percent, Steve. This idea of being intelligent, branded as the elite, as thinking you're above me. Yes, the intelligent will make an occasional mistake, maybe two or three mistakes, but the less intelligent make 40 mistakes. So I will take an intelligent person making two or three mistakes over a non-intelligent person or a medium intelligent person making 40 mistakes. And that's the problem that I think that has been uh, pushed, the narrative that has been pushed to make people who are in the lower rung of intelligence feel somewhat like, they, the, like they're being the victims of people of superior intelligence. No, we used to aspire to put the most intelligent people in charge of us because even when they made mistakes, they made mistakes with all the knowledge and all the information at their fingertips and we trusted them to make the right decisions. Were they always right? No, but our odds were better with them in charge. Now, as we've denigrated it, and what I think, in my honest opinion, this president is not that intelligent, as you go into that situation, now we see the results of it, the slow moving, the slow believing. And I, I get what you're saying. Oh, we, you know, no president's ever experienced this, and maybe, you know, the governments are slow to react. I hear you. But if you're watching it happen in China, you're watching it happen in Italy, you're watching it, that should have been the warning call. And then for you to be defensive about it and then start trying to blame Obama or start trying to blame this, which he, which is always his fallback stuff, that to me did us more harm than good and i think the only reason he's reacting now and i hope that in somewhere there's somewhere inside of his heart he actually has empathy for the american people but if not it's a politically expedient thing for him to react correctly now and try to do as much as possible to save this country and to save the citizens of this country from death and uh, and uh, pestilence and sickness uh, that could affect their daily lives and homelessness uh, going broke that kind of stuff you know, the system is going to hold out for a little bit, but the system might break. If the system financially breaks and they can't keep bailing out, that's when you're that's when everything is going to be crazy and will be in the darkest timeline. But I will say this, Steve, and the thing that bothers me the most, I'm not trying to be crazy either, is I, you know, you and I are, are men of age. We've read numerous books about how governments and how um people involved in, in military intelligence or CIA or FBI or secretive things, how they slowly roll out information because they know if you roll out the whole thing, people will be consumed or overwhelmed and won't be able to handle it. And I wonder if they're taking us two or three months at a time uh, telling us, oh, by July it'll crest or by June it'll crest and we'll be better because they actually know it's going to be a year from now before we recover from this. And they're just going to dole out the information every three months. Oh, now it'll push till October. It'll push to January. It'll push to So that's what my worry is here is this is actually a bigger 
uh, situation or concern than we actually fully know about at this point? Well, first of all, we don't know. I mean, that's that's right. the that's the basic thing is we we don't know. Um, I think that information is out there. I think uh, in from what I've read and the people that I've listened to, anyone who tells you that this is going to be done in June doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now it could be again if the best case scenario happens, that's fantastic. Right. We will all be thrilled. Um, the Spanish flu killed most of its people in July and August. So the idea that, uh, yes, it is true that seasonal flus tend to stop when the weather gets warmer, but we don't know what this coronavirus is going to do. Right. Most flus actually have a, the Spanish flu happened over two years. Okay. So there's a strong possibility we're going to be dealing with this for a while. And if the numbers in the United States are much bigger than we think they are, which is likely, yeah. then the idea that the kids are going back to school in two weeks is ridiculous. That's yes. not going to happen. Right. And, and, and the big thing that we can say is the economic costs of this, regardless of anything else, are, are tremendous. And, and, and what I was, so the way I was raised in terms of how the world works is that you hopefully in the good times, you build up surpluses and you prepare for the bad times. Right. And unfortunately, and this is both under Obama and under Trump, but more so under Trump, we've been just going deeper and deeper into debt and we've mm-hmm. not been preparing for the bad times. And so while some of the problems that existed in 2008 were adjusted and improved, most of them weren't. Yeah. And so now we might be going into another crisis and unfortunately we're not ready. I mean, the good thing is, is that throughout human history, there have been tremendous, tremendous disasters that are far worse than anything we've seen in our lifetimes. And humans survive and they usually end up better and stronger. But the cost during those times of the Great Depression, of World War II, of World War I, of the Civil War in the United States are tremendous. And so hopefully with some competence and some working together, we're going to get through this thing. But it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help when you've got colleges like UCLA that are staying open. They are staying open because they claim that they can't send all these thousands of kids back to their families or back to their homes or whatever. So the staff themselves has to stay on staff uh, while this is happening. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's dangerous as hell. These are all young kids. One gets them. They're all going to get them. Don't tell me they're all, you know, you know how it is when it was young. When you're young, you feel invincible. There's no way they're all, you know, being six feet apart. Hell, I was in El Segundo this morning. I went to a coffee shop to get a sandwich for breakfast. Ten people were outside sitting at tables and they were not six feet away from each other. So this idea people have that they're invulnerable or they feel like they're safe because they're hanging out with their significant other or a friend, you just never know who has it and how it can be passed on and who is desperate to work and is hiding the symptoms because they need that money to pay rent. So those are those things that you can't factor in or can't really know. And that's the dangerous part of this. all. I think everything should be shut down except for maybe delivery systems and what have you, that kind of situation. Of course, the groceries and those are the most important things, but something like a university, all universities, all schools should be shut down so that the kids are home and being taken care of by their parents. Uh, and not being overwhelmed by kids and not being overwhelmed overall. But, you know, a lot of people are complaining in New York that they're not closing the schools because the medical healthcare professionals would be overwhelmed by the amount of people that would be coming in to try to get tested or try to get treated for the situation. So I personally don't have all the numbers and facts in front of me to give the right answer. But I also think putting people, 30 people in a classroom, how is it not going to uh, spread? 
Well, it's it, it's such a tough call, and of course, I absolutely agree with you about universities, about schools. Those yeah. ones are no brainers. And in fact, you know, for my university, we I had a training session over the weekend on how to do classes virtually, and I know that's happening all over the country, and that's yeah. fantastic. There are other places where we're talking about medical professionals or the food supply or keeping our internet going so we can have this podcast where people are going to have to be in a room with each other. Yeah. And again, this is where the concept of triage and of, you know, okay, this is the new situation. What is the best way to operate within it? And it is yeah. going to take a lot of thought. It's not something that's, it, it wouldn't have been possible to have a plan for this in 24 hours or a week. It's going to take some time. Um, I think the, the, to me, the top priority is to help with our most vulnerable citizens. Yeah. So that's people that are homeless, that have low income jobs, that lack medical care, because nobody should have to face the choice of, I might have this virus, but I am afraid to go into the hospital because I don't have medical care. Exactly. That's going to spread the disease. Right. Is that So that's really super important. There's also, you know, a ton of small businesses, particularly restaurants and bars, they're getting killed, you yeah. know? And yeah. so what's going to happen to all of these uh, people over the next year where the economy is going to go down? Yeah. I mean, that you know, if, if they're closed and only doing takeout, they're in deep, deep trouble. Yeah, it's a very good point, Steve. And that's where you go like, well, look, I love that the uh, president is bailing out these airlines. He needs to be bailing out small businesses and, and medium businesses that rely on customer traffic and in and in large numbers to survive. So to me, it's great that you're bailing out the airlines, but no one's flying anywhere right now. What people are doing is wanting to eat and wanting to eat in healthy places or places that they know are clean. So why not go, go and, and create a program to help those businesses stay afloat, stay stocked with food so that people can survive? I get that this is a capitalist economy. Totally get it. Supply and demand, get it all. But this is about survival. And this matters more than just some principle. And this is really important. So do what you need to do so that those businesses don't feel scared that they're going to lose their, their houses or they're going to lose their, their restaurants or their eateries or what have you and make sure they're taken care of. And then we'll deal with the airlines down the road. Keep them all employed, of course, and pay them out because they're not willingly leaving the job. You're forcing them off the job. There has to be situations like this. And those executives making millions of dollars and paying themselves millions of bonuses strip all those bonuses out and put that towards the employees that's how you get it done for god's sakes i'm so frustrated by this idea of wanting to separate classes uh, when a, a, a situation like this uh, uh, comes up you got to do what you got to do you got to make sacrifices yourself to make sure everyone lives because without them you don't have a job nor do you have any kind of money as a salary so it's important overall well, in, you know, in managing an economy, a government has a bunch of levers that they can pull. So and, and generally, particularly in the last 50 years, they've pulled the levers that deal with the big corporations. Right. Uh, the biggest one being the interest rate. Let's make money cheaper. Therefore, there'll be more investment. Corporations will be more liquid. They'll be able to hire more people. That's the theory. Yeah. Um, and with the levers we haven't pulled so much are the levers of let's give money to the other end, instead of supply side, we go to the demand side and help out the people that are that are poorest. Right. Um, and that's what we haven't done so much. One of the problems with what's happening economically is that most of the economic turndowns have been demand side turndowns. So a whole bunch of people can't afford to buy houses. You have a housing crisis, yep. and that's 2008. You have this huge explosion in the tech companies in the dot-com boom, and they don't live up to where they're supposed to deliver on. That's another demand size crisis and their value crashes. That's 2001. Yeah. In this case, it started with a supply side 
crisis because all of our interwoven manufacturing starting in China wasn't producing. And right. so suddenly the iPhone doesn't have the part they need or the, or, or this, uh, you know, clothing manufacturer doesn't have clothes to manufacture to go sell at Walmart. And right. so suddenly we have a supply side crash and then what's make And so putting money into the economy by lowering interest rates and handing out a, you know, quantitative easing, which they've done. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't help when you don't have the part the part doesn't exist. The factory is closed. So there isn't a way to use that money in the same way that we have in the past. And then what's about to happen or is what's starting to happen is a demand side crisis because you're going to have all these people out of work. Yep. So consumer goods aren't going to sell. That represents, I think, 30 or 40 percent of the economy. I mean, the, the, there's so much stuff that's going to be in trouble. And that's really, really worrying. I agree. And that's where you go, well, who's in charge of that kind of situation? Who's in charge of making sure that doesn't get to a critical level or a beyond critical level? Because I just, I have a horrible feeling that if the right people aren't in the right positions, this thing will break us as a country. And that really scares me because you can already see, Stephen, I went to five different uh, markets this morning uh, at 8 a.m. driving around trying to find the market or the store that didn't have a line. And I went to a Ralph's, 100 people were in line upstairs and downstairs, and they were letting people in 25 at a time from both sides. That's yeah. how bad it was at 8 a.m. I went to the Smart and Final, 30 people in line. Went to another Smart and Final, 25 people in line. Finally found a Target way down there on Jefferson Boulevard that I could go in, and they were rationing out toilet paper by the fitting rooms. They had set up a, and essentially a, a, an area there where the toilet paper was stacked up. You saw samples of what you could get. You were allowed one. So you could ask for one, you got the one, and you were gone. That's how it worked. Paper towels, you can get whatever you want, but only one of it, but it was all sent out. But they were rationing out the toilet paper one at a time. And I don't, imagine, what's, the, what's the toilet paper thing? I think people just got to go to the bathroom, my man. Well, <laughs> sure, gotta, but how much, toilet paper, how much toilet paper do you use in a month? I know. It's a matter I mean, of security, like, I think. <laughs> I mean, do I need a year's supply of toilet paper? I mean, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. Fair. But, you know, those are those things that you, I think people look at toilet paper because it's the first thing you see in movies and stuff, right? They're, they're rationing toilet paper, water, and meat. That's always the, the big things that they're rationing, as a, also beds. Uh, but you see that. So people have an instinctual um, feeling to run to it. Who's in charge of that? Thank God that the stores finally got a hold of the runs that people were doing on them and like taking so much out of their stores because they realized how serious it was. And thank God that there are enough American citizens who understand I'm okay to wait in line for this because I understand that other people need it too. And I've seen some fights online. You've seen at Costco and whatever, but it hasn't been the predominant reaction, which I find to be hopeful for us getting through this crisis. Hopeful sign. Yeah, I mean, the, the what, I'll say it again. I said at the beginning of this stream, yeah. don't panic about the supplies. We're not in that place yet. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of food in the United States. There's plenty of materials. Yes, it's they weren't ready for the run that's happened in the last week. But right. that is not a major concern. And by, by, by rushing to the store and getting 70 pounds of meat to throw in your freezer or something, <laughs> you're taking it away from people that really need it. Yeah, um, older people look, that really need it, yeah. Look, I think we've, I think we've kind of, Set our piece on this. This has yeah. been our, our our first live video stream. People like them. Maybe we'll do some more. But here's one more thing I want to say. The cinephiles is about watching movies and talking about them. And we are 
going to keep right on doing that. John and I are going to be recording remotely rather than in the same room together. But other than that, we're going to keep watching movies. We're going to keep talking about them. And if you're stuck at your home and, you know, you've got some movies to watch. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got good films coming up. <laughs> I was literally editing uh, uh, our next podcast right before we got online. And John and I are recording one later in the week. And we're going to keep them coming. So we really appreciate all of you paying attention and letting us talk a little bit off the topic. Yeah. But we're going to get talk back to talking movies uh, real soon. Yeah, thank you all for uh, uh, watching and for later listening uh, and watching this uh, Cinephiles Medium instead of a short. I think it's a medium, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call this, because uh, this is the longest one we've ever done. But but it I think it's important for us to talk about it. And I don't know about you, Steve, but I certainly feel a little bit better having had the conversation with you about this. Absolutely. A little bit more about the situation. Sometimes that's all you need. And for those of you who are watching and listening, Hopefully you've got someone you can talk to as well to kind of like ease your concerns or ease your fears or just vent out about it a little bit so that you can come back to normal. So that's what I wish for all of you. But yes, keep downloading our episodes. We're going to keep making these things as long as we have the internet, as long as we can communicate, we're going to keep making these things. Uh, and that's my goal too on the YouTube channel and on the other podcasts that I do. Generate that content because people need to be entertained when they're home and take their minds off things. And I'm glad that we have a show that can do that for them, Steve. Hey, I, I got a question for you. Normally at midnight tonight, we yeah. put out our preview. Do you think we should announce our film uh, this week a little bit early? I think that's a good idea. I might say, I am Spartacus. <laughs> I might say, I'm Spartacus. <laughs> I'm Spartacus. <laughs> that's Spartacus coming in a couple of days on the Cinephiles. Thank you all for tuning in and everyone stay safe. Take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc